Well, welcome. This is Tommy Veal, and today I've got a very special guest for you. This is my dear friend, Patty Sheeran. Hi, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on your show. Oh, absolutely. We, Patty and I met in the funniest way. We were both volunteering at an event, and we were just standing next to each other. And I think, like, what, wasn't it a few days before, a few days after, you had been, you had been chanting for you to um, meet people that can help you in some way or yes wasn't it that yeah 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 I think we met uh, it was a Toastmasters yeah. event um, and I had I think it was in September we met right something like that yeah, yeah I think it was probably, yeah, right yeah. because I had just quit my job yeah um, I had turned 52 last year on my birthday yeah and uh, I had been thinking about starting and running my own business for many many years and uh I had finally, when I turned 52, I was like, well, when? You know, I've been talking about this for so long. When am I going to quit my job and do it? You know, <laughs> you always think, when am I going to have enough money? You know, well, whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made the decision. And uh, as you mentioned, I'm a Buddhist. Yeah. And uh, when we chant, we chant to um, the Kohonzon, which is a scroll that was written or, or inscribed by a, a 12th century monk uh, from Japan. Uh -huh. And uh, we talk about the Kohonzon as being kind of like a mirror to our lives mm. and um, they uh, we talk about um, if you want like your wildest dreams could come true if you focus and and uh, to the gohan zone and chant to the gohan zone uh -huh. so uh, someone had given me some advice when I quit my job they were like why don't you chant for to attract the right people in your life uh -huh. and so I started doing that and that's when you appeared in my life and I was like <laughs> whoa it was just so perfect that we met at the perfect time oh yeah you know i was looking for somebody to help me with my marketing yeah. and that's when you appeared and you were like oh i, I can help you with that and i was like really <laughs> and you know what the funny thing on on my side too i i had just quit toastmasters and i didn't want to go to any more events oh you're kidding and so um but the president of my club said we we hadn't gotten enough points for to qualify for some award. They always wanted these awards. Mm -hmm. And they said, okay, we need one more leader. I was previously on the, the executive board. They're like, we need one more leader to go to this event, um, and to, to one of these training events. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to do it. I just quit. Like, I want to get out of this stuff. And, like, they email me. They're like, can you please go to this? Like, we'll get our points because you're still technically a member. I'm like, ugh, fine, I'll go. And then I'm like, okay, if I'm going, I might as well go all in because I knew the guy who was hosting the event. Can I help in some way? And then that's how we met. And, and the funny thing is, a few days before, like literally a few days before, I was thinking about, like, okay, I want to get into this marketing stuff. Um, I, you know what I'll do is I'll tell people. Uh, well, no, I, I literally just figured out that I, I wanted to help people with their businesses, and I didn't care about how I got paid until I brought results. Right. And which, which is hilarious, because that's what I told you right off the bat. And you're like, really? Wow. <laughs> that's exactly what I need. How did you know? You know, it was just so funny, because as a business owner, you, you know, you struggle with a lot of different things. You do things that normally you're not comfortable doing. Yeah. So I was like looking for someone just to help me talk it out, work it through, you know, kind of just somebody to bounce ideas off of. And you were perfect in that, because you and I, we sat down and we created a really cool plan we yeah. we 
we didn't figure out exactly how to market it together, yeah. but you helped me create the structure yeah. of what, what my offering was. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was really amazing. I'm so grateful that I met you at the time that I met you. Yeah. It was just perfect. You came into my a, life. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. even and even better. I remember like when when I first saw you. When I heard when you first saw me, I was wearing like this big sweatshirt and everything, and you're like. What's this kid doing here with all these old people? <laughs> like other people wearing like suits and stuff. And then all of a sudden we're just standing next to each other. Oh, hi, what's your name? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, I don't tend to judge people by what they're wearing, you know. It was just, I think what, it, what, what impressed me most was your, your age. Uh-huh. Um, you know, most people who attend Toastmasters are much older. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny because you're not the only young person I met recently that has made a huge impact in my life. James is, oh, an, yeah. is another one that yeah, you impressive. know as well. Yeah, yeah. he's another uh, young person who's very impressive. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think both of you are going to go very far in this world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the guy we're talking about, James, he's 20, right? Uh, I think he just turned 21 last 21. year. 21, yeah. He's had... He had, a, he had a, he had a tough life growing up and like he really pushed through it and like he never I don't think he went to college he, he didn't go to a lot of no he didn't go to college he didn't go to do he didn't finish high school but like he's he's helping so many small business owners he's, here. Inc- he's incredible he's uh, like the he, mafia of the Bay Area yeah oh, I don't know about that because <laughs> he knows everyone he just knows it right he's very well connected you know he joined the Chamber of Commerce when he was 15 it was like who does that you know yeah. and, and and as a result he knows everybody in the Bay Area at least in San Mateo so yeah he's very impressive just amazing impressive yeah. young person yeah yeah so the reason I brought Patty on today is because Patty has two things that are just I think are well I guess like three things that are at least really incredible uh, she's got more but like these are my favorites first off she's just always happy and like everyone anytime I introduce a friend to her or bring someone around her like she always makes them smile she's always happy and when I work with her she was so fun to work with she was always happy even on days that were rough she'd still find a way to like pull through and be happy so first off she's a really happy person and then secondly um, she's just decided to to go all in and just pursue what she really loves um, and then thirdly her story is just incredible mm-hmm. and I think gonna be super super inspiring so let's Thank just you. jump into your story because can, awesome. you, can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up? You're, you're, you're a New York baby, right? That's right. I was born and raised in New York. My parents actually came here from Colombia, South America. Oh, really? They both came here separately, uh, and they met in Queens uh-huh. and got married, and I was born, I guess, a year later. <laughs> um, yeah, so I came from immigrant parents. Uh-huh. Um, they both, uh, I guess, both of them learned how to speak English here in the United States. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so uh, going back, I just wanted to kind of mention something or, or talk about a little bit of what you mentioned about me being always happy. Yeah. Um, it, it might seem that way to the outside, uh, you know, because yeah, yeah. I, I do try to put on a brave face, you know, no matter what. Uh-huh. Um, I uh, Going back to Buddhism, our mentor, uh, Daisaku Akeda, always talks about encouraging and inspiring every person you meet. Mm. And that really struck a chord with me, right? Mm. Um, growing up, I was very angry. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was very angry and very resentful. I kind of felt like, you know, I mean, now as an adult, now that I have a child who is an adult now, Mm -hmm. I can appreciate how difficult it is to be a parent. 
Um, I grew up in the age where children were seen, not heard. So my parents never asked me what my opinion was on anything. They never asked me what I wanted for dinner or anything. This is what you got and that's it, you know. There was no question, you know. There was no, you know, honey, what would you like for dinner tonight? No. <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, it's like in the back of my mind, I always felt like there was something wrong with that. You know, I didn't know how to articulate it. So I was very angry and mm. very, very resentful growing up. Mm. Um, the first time things, in fact, you know, it's funny because I used to, I, I spent many, many years depressed and many wow. years like asking why, why me? You know, why is this happening to me kind of thing? And that question never, I never got an answer mm. when I asked that question. Mm. Um, Years later, when I was 26, I had my daughter, Jessica. Uh She, the moment they put her in my arms, I was like, whoa, (laughs) I have to like, I mean, immediately I was like, I fell in love immediately, right? Like I had up until that point, I didn't know what unconditional love meant until they put her in my arms and I was like whoa no matter what I need to protect this this human being you know that I'm now responsible for Uh you know and I was like well I need to stop being angry and resentful I need to find a better way I don't want to teach that to my daughter Mm -hmm. so that was the first time that I really started thinking about how do I change you know my attitude you know before it was kind of like a default you know, I never really thought about it. Did they kind of start when you were young because you were kind of upset with your parents and how they raised you? Yeah, I felt like, um, you know, my mom was highly critical, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess, I don't know whether it's the religious background. Yeah. My, I was born and raised Roman Catholic. Yeah. Um, and my mom was always saying things to me like, don't you regret what you just did, you know. Uh um, you know, why don't you do your hair a little bit better? Is that really what you're going to wear? Uh-huh. You know, things like that. I mean, it was constant. I don't think my mom ever said a kind word to me wow. um, until I was much, much older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, I felt like my mom didn't like me. So if my mm-hmm. mom didn't like me, who else was going to like me kind of thing? Mm-hmm. You know, um, although I didn't have the words for it at the time, right? This is just over years of reflection, mm-hmm. you know, about thinking about this. Maybe you know? back then you just knew you felt upset. Like you didn't I was, know Yeah, exactly. I was just angry. I was angry and I was resentful. And I didn't know why. And I just, I just had that feeling, you know. Um, you know, it's funny too, because when you think about my mom, my mom, her father passed away when she was a year old. Um, he wow. passed away before my aunt was even born. And my grandmother um, had no choice but to put them in a boarding school. So my mom was raised by nuns. So I can imagine why, you know, how she would be, you know, raised in that type of environment, not be very warm or caring, you know, uh, that's the way she was brought up. So when I had my daughter, I was like, no, I need, this is not how I want to raise my daughter. I want this, I want to raise her differently. So I made a very conscious effort to how do I improve? How do I change the way I think? How do I yeah, be happy? You know, because mm. I wasn't. I was mm. not happy. It took a long time. Wow. 
So what'd you, so, what'd you do at first? At first, um, you know, I was, I don't know, let's see. Oprah was a big influence on me really? growing up. I used to watch her when I came home from school. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll never forget, she had a guest called uh, Cheryl Richardson. Yeah. And she wrote a book. I can't remember what the name of the book was. But I'll never forget, the first chapter was write down 25 accomplishments. And I had such a hard time. <laughs> 25 <laughs> things it's it just like it, it was enormous I was like I don't know I haven't done anything what, what am I going to write you know I remember that very distinctly um, and then a couple of years later things changed um, were you I, able to get to 25 or I did I, it oh, took wow. a long time um, it took a really long time I actually had to ask friends and it was like <laughs> I, I don't know what to write you know um, but I figured it out I did and it was really good um exercise because it made me realize that I did have things that I can contribute Hmm. you know up until that point I guess I assumed you know because like I said my mom would always criticize everything I did so like I felt like everything I every move I made was a mistake or Hmm. you know whatever so I felt like I hadn't done anything you know, so writing that list really forced me to look at my life and say, you know, I was a good mom. You mm. know, I went to work every day. I was a good employee. I, you know, um, I was responsible. I was, you know, doing what I had to do to take care of my daughter and my life and, you know, things like that. Mm. You know, so when I realized. You never thought about it. Right. I had never, never thought of it in those terms. Right. Exactly. Did it feel kind of good? It felt really good, you know, because at first the list was really hard. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute, I could do this. And then it was just flowing out of me. It's like I realized I did do a lot of good things, you mm. know, and that was like a huge turning point. You know, for me. So, That's yeah. Awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Did your life shift much after that, or, or would you would you try next? That kind of so what was the at, next step? so the next step after that. Shortly after that, my my ex husband, my ex my ex and I had separated when my daughter was really young, yeah. and he had owed me some money for child support. So we oh. kind of he had hurt himself on the job, and then he never went back, and he was doing contract work. So, you know, um, he kind of owed me some money. So we talked about how we were going to work this out, and. He he had moved up to New Hampshire and he had suggested, why don't you leave her with me up in New Hampshire for a while and well, you know, as form of payment. And I was like, okay, sure. That sounds like a good idea. Um, My daughter was eight at the time. I cried for two months. Wow. And then I went to college. (laughs) So I had- So first you're like, good idea. And then when she left, you're like, Oh no, my baby, my whole life. I mean, she was my whole life, you know, and and she was gone. She was eight at the time. So she was still really cute. She was, yeah, she was really young. um, And uh, it it, it ended up being a a huge blessing. It really did because I had tried college a couple of times and it didn't work out. I ended up, so funny, my first try at college ended up being a senior English. it was crazy and I'm like I had no idea what was going on and I was like <laughs> you, you majored in English? no it was I don't know I was trying to get into a school Baruch which is like an Ivy League school in New York City Yeah. and uh, I don't know how I ended up signing up for I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> So I just signed up for whatever class was available that fit my schedule and it ended up being a senior uh, Shakespeare class. So not only, you know, Shakespeare, which is difficult to begin with, you know, and then on top of it was a senior's 
class, you know. <laughs> it was a disaster, so I ended up dropping out. <laughs> and then I tried one other time, and that didn't work. I don't, re- I don't remember what happened. But then um, at, when I went to Queens College, they had a program called the ACE, um, ACE program, which sta- stood for the Adult Collegiate Education. Hmm. It basically meant um, it was a program for people who were over 25 years old hmm. that had never taken college credits previously um so it was geared towards adults people who had families people who like i said were over 25 people who worked full-time jobs um so what they did was they offered instead of going to classes twice a week you would go once a week Mm -hmm. for a three-hour class um and they taught you everything you needed to know so when i took an english class i taught you the basics of writing you know how to create how to write an essay you know with the introduction the body and the conclusion that kind of thing thing yeah. that you normally wouldn't take in a freshman uh, English class but it's stuff you need because you probably would have forgotten right exactly it had been over 20 years since I've been in school so I had totally forgotten how to even study so those first eight courses were they were perfect they were instrumental in, in getting me um to finish my core requirements. Uh-huh. So then once that was done, then you went into the general population and the majored in whatever you wanted to major in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was a great program. I did really, really well. I ended up graduating with like a 3.75 GPA, wow. which was really good. Um, oh, yeah. It was amazing. Was school um, previously hard for you when you were younger? Like, did you get did you get great grades or was like... That's really funny that you asked that because... Um, Many years later, my mom gave me like a packet when she moved to Argentina. She gave each of us like a packet of things that she had saved over the years. Uh-huh. And I went through it and they were my report cards uh-huh. were in there from elementary school. And I, I wasn't like an A student, but uh-huh. I was like B's and C's, okay. you know, average. Yeah. But growing up, my brothers always got A's. <laughs> So my parents <laughs> always, always compared to them? my parents always compared me, and the thing was they were younger than me. So uh, not only were they comparing me to, you know, my brothers who were younger than me, it just it just made me feel like less than. So I always felt like I was bad in school, uh-huh. but in reality I wasn't. So when I, when I went to college. Um, that ACE program really helped me because for the first time I got A's Uh and I was like, whoa, I can do this. You know, I thought that I wasn't really good at school until I went to college. And like I said, that was much, much later. I was 36 when I went started um, at Queens College. Mm. Yeah, and like I said, I graduated with a really decent GPA. Then did did you know what you wanted to do after that? Um, Did you go straight off to to college from there? after college so, or so you so you had the, the preparatory college right well it wasn't really preparatory. it was part it was of part the of um the overall ma- major so yeah. those first eight classes took care of your core requirements okay so yeah so every time you go to college you have basic core requirements which are usually math english and some sort of social studies okay. so i took a political science class or something like that okay um, so like the basic requirements are done and then you can just focus on your major okay. what you was know? your major I ended up majoring in anthropology. Um, yeah, that's like is that that's dinosaurs, right? Anthropology no? Wait, is no, a is broad like... subject. Okay. It's kind of like saying 
I don't know, the medical field. It's okay. a, it's a broad umbrella. So there are four fields in anthropology. Uh-huh. There's cultural anthropology, which is the study of um, living cultures. There's archaeology, which is the study of dead cultures. Um, there's linguistics, that's the study of languages, which is fascinating. Mm. And then what I really enjoyed was physical anthropology, which was about the, um, the differences between uh, humans. So oh. human variation. Um, so what I fell in love with like was... Types, like personalities and types of people? Well, um, physical anthropology is more genetics. Okay. You know, so... Um, yeah, I think the it's more... The differences in how they're genetically, that their bodies are... Right. Well, the thing that I fell in love with was, yeah. so again, that's also a very broad yeah, yeah, stu- yeah. field of study. Um, for me, uh, evolution and that kind of stuff. For me, what I loved was osteology, which was the study of human bones and huh. how you could tell so much about an individual through their bones. It's crazy. It's it's really, it's amazing. So I loved it. I loved it. I was just fascinating. Like, you know, <laughs> you could tell, like, if somebody is a runner or someone, you oh, know, really? is a thrower because, you know, like certain arm, like, okay, so for instance, your dominant arm is always thicker than your less dominant arm, huh. right? Because yeah, you, use, you can use sense. it more, right? Yeah, you yeah. Use, and you um, can see that in the bone? You could totally see that in the bone. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. It's it's amazing what you can tell about a human person. So uh, like if you go maybe. on a date with someone you really want to understand them. <laughs> look at their bones. Can I have, well, a little, usually, can I have a little bone sample? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you no, when you're looking at bones, it's usually people who are deceased. <laughs> you know. Uh, although when my mom had her knee surgery, I was so tempted to ask the doctor for the bone. <laughs> you know, I was like, can I have it? <laughs> oh, you know, it's really funny. I just um, need it for something. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to study it. I think it's fascinating. It was just. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, Mom, you tell from weights. stature. Really, you could tell a lot from wow. a human being. Did they sit a lot? Did they stand? Did oh, they really? run? Yeah. How did they walk? Um, you know. Um, yeah. It's amazing the wow. things. You know, were they active? Were they not active? You know, major injuries. That kind of. Sometimes certain diseases show up in your bones. You know, that kind of thing. So, so. before you had studied this, did you have a particular field that? You- you were really interested in and fascinated by or is this one of the first things that you're like whoa this is really cool well when I when I first went to college I thought I was going to major in, in psychology I thought psychology oh, yeah. was why people do the things they do was always a question that um, I always found interesting you yeah, know yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say oh that guy went crazy and it's like mm, no there's a reason he did the things that they did uh-huh. you know you might not agree with it mm. you know or understand it mm-hmm. but there's a reason people do things mm. you know and in fact in anthropology when I took uh, cultural anthropology there's a great book um, that they had us read it was called the spirit catches you and you fall down I'll write that down fascinating book um, it was written um, so the story it the story is about a family that emigrated to California from Laos uh-huh. Um, and their child, I think, I think their child was about five years old, uh-huh. um, and they suffer, they suffer from seizures, seizures, um, and in in Laos, the, uh, anyone who suffered from seizures and survived uh-huh. childhood would grow up to be shaman. Uh-huh. 
But here in the Western world, you know, seizures is seen as a bad thing. Oh, so there it's seen as a good thing. So there, if they survived, yes. If the child survived having seizures and grew up uh, to adulthood, then they would be considered a shaman. Hmm. Um, Yeah, really interesting. The book is fascinating. Just, it was... What's a shaman? Is it like a a warrior? They're kind of like a medicine person, like a a wise person Uh in their group. Yeah, so fascinating book it talked about both sides why the medical profession thinks the way they do why did the people from Laos think the way they do and then the conflict mm-hmm. you know that they had in communicating because there was a language barrier barrier there was a cultural barrier you know and it was there the way they had to navigate you know mm-hmm. the system in order to get help for the little girl you know mm-hmm. so it's fascinating fascinating book really good great read I so highly you, recommend so you were actually studying psychology the first time you were in college well when I went I took uh, I took an intro to psychology class uh-huh. um and I wasn't too thrilled about it <laughs> uh and then it was funny because you know it's funny how things work out you know <laughs> I go to college, I took my core classes, now I'm like thinking, okay, what do I major in? I'll take an intro to psychology and see how that works. Yeah. And then I was looking in the newspaper and they were talking about that the Anthropology Society was having a picnic. So I was like, oh, let me go check it out, see you know, what's it, what it's all about. I don't yeah. know anything about anthropology yeah. at the time. And it was funny because I could not tell the difference between the students and the teachers. There were students that were older than me, uh-huh. and then there were teachers that were younger than me. And I was like, this is weird. And of course, everybody was trying to convince me that anthropology was the major, you know, and you had to study anthropology. So I was like, okay, on their advice, I took an intro to anthropology. I think it was, I think it was cultural anthropology, uh-huh. intro to cultural anthropology. They had an intro to each one and I took one of each and like I said fell in love with physical anthropology right away I was like that's fascinating how differences and you know how we inherit our genes and you know variation and mutation and you know the the, the systems of, of evolution and why evolution works fascinating that's fascinating stuff. so when you graduated from that mm-hmm. were, were you trying to did were you able to find a way to use that? Well, I that's thought a it is. It's a unique it's, skill. It is uh, anthropology, and I seriously thought about going to graduate school afterwards because you need a PhD in order to really um, get a job in that field. Um, so I seriously thought about it. Even took a road trip uh, visiting various universities uh, to make a decision. But I felt I was trading one cubicle for another. A lot of uh, these bone labs uh, and across major universities are in basements somewhere, oh. you know, windowless rooms. And I just kind of felt like that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I had uh, up until that point, I worked uh, for investment banks and I worked in a cubicle and and I just was not interested in pursuing another career mm. and spending my life in a cubicle, you know, kind of thing. Um, when I graduated, like I said, my daughter was living with her dad. Um, and actually, before I we go into that, <clears throat> one of the wonderful things and the thing that taught me or the major life lessons from college were it's not about the classes you take or your grades. It's about the people you meet. The grades in college are important if you're going to continue your education, right? In order to get a good degree, I mean, sorry, 
like PhD. If you're going to go on, yeah, if you're going to go on, if you're going to be in medical school, you're going to go to law school or become an engineer, uh, obviously grades are important. But once you graduate from college, grades don't matter. Nobody's going to ask you what was your GPA in college. No one, you know, um, but it's important while you're there. Um, so when I started, so I was going part time. So his grades don't matter. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's the people, the you, people meet, you meet. It's the people you meet and the organizations you join. Oh, like clubs. It's and stuff? clubs. I highly recommend joining a club and becoming an officer in a club. Um, Why so? It teaches you so much. I couldn't believe it. when I, I joined the Anthropology Society shortly after I went to the picnic uh-huh. and I became treasurer. And I was already 36, 37, 38 <laughs> years old by that time. And I had never created a budget for an organization. Like it was I mean, the things that I learned. I mean, creating a budget, organizing events, you know, inviting guests, you know, uh, just all these things you just don't think of, uh-huh. you know, out in the world, you know. Um, college is, no one's going to hand you anything in college. Uh-huh. You have to go and get everything you want. Mm-hmm. So that leads me into the next thing that I wanted to talk to about my college life changed my life completely Um, up until that point so I started college I was going part-time and I was working full-time but it was during the 2001 recession so they kept cutting my hours Mm -hmm. Um, I was working 40 then 35 then down I think it was down to 30 then 20 and then they laid me off Um, so every time they kept cutting my hours I would take more and more classes by the end, when they laid me off, I started collecting unemployment and I went to school full time. When unemployment ran out, I was like, I did not want to go back to work. I really love this college thing. I was joining clubs. I was doing a lot of activities. I was volunteering in a lot of different things. I loved it. I was just having a great time and I wanted to finish my education. Um, so I started going around to all the departments at the school, and I said, I know you have money. <laughs> you know, it's like, how can I find, like, scholarships or a grants or anything? And, you know, everyone was like, no, we don't have anything. No, no, no. I talked to everybody at that school. Like, it didn't matter. Anybody who would talk to me, I was like, you have any money? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you have a program that I can apply, you know, and, and I earn know something. You got it. I know you got it. You know, and everybody's like, no, 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 no. I finally went back to the biology department. That was the first department I went to. I went back to them a second time, and I was like, you have to have something. You've got to have some sort of program that, you know, you're looking for people. And then my professor was like, well, I've got this thing. I don't know if you'd be interested in. It's like, you know, you're getting funded by the NIH. They're training people to go on to their PhDs. And I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. I'll fill it out. And I got I got funded. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I got accepted into the program. Um, you had to have a 3.2 GPA. Uh-huh. You had to maintain a, a full-time um, curriculum. Um, they wanted you to attend two conferences a year. Uh-huh. Um, they wanted you to go to a colloquium every week. I don't. Do you know what a colloquium is? No, I don't. So when you do science um, in college, what you do is you come up with a theory uh-huh. and then you test it. 
When, once you test it, then what you do is you create a presentation and then you give what's called a colloquium. Oh. It's just a way of ta telling people what your research is all about. Uh -huh. And it's a way for people to come see your talk, give you some advice, offer some suggestions on how to improve your, your experiments and maybe tweak it here and there, get better results, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of like a, a step in the process yeah. before you start writing your paper and before you start you know getting peer reviewed and stuff mm. like that it's the step along the line um so they required you to go to one every week um i went to the first ones that i went to i didn't understand a word <laughs> of what they were talking about i was like they sounded like they were talking greek i just did not understand anything they were saying but by the time i graduated two years later yeah. i told i could walk into any colloquium and get a grasp at least what they were trying to say, you know, um, which was really interesting. So, yeah, never... Was it because you were around it enough and thinking about yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Through the, the classes that I was taking, learning what research is, yeah. you know, how people couldn't create experiments, how they test things. Then you start getting used to medical terminology and, and uh, you know, everything in science is kind of like Latin-based. So it's like if you could, you know, kind of, if you know a little bit of Latin, you actually understand what people are talking about it's really interesting it's it's yeah you take a lot of biology and that those so kind you, of courses you kind of learn a little bit of latin you know along right. the so way you, you yeah. picked up on the lingo and you uh, yeah and yeah exactly in the beginning you were like why are you i don't understand what you're saying and but by the end i totally understood i, I might not understand or grasp the nuance of your particular experiment yeah. but i can understand what you were trying to get to you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So it's really fascinating. Wow. Same thing with reading um, scientific papers yeah. in the beginning. I was like, wow, man, I don't understand what these people are trying to say. But then after a while, you really, you know, you do it over and over again, just like anything else. You know, the first time you hear something, you're like, I don't know. I don't understand. But eventually, you, you know. Get that, but yeah. then you do, yeah. Eventually. So then you ended up even getting your PhD. I did not oh, go on to my PhD. No, so they they were that program is they were teaching undergraduates how to do research. Oh. Okay. So that when they went on to their PhD, they would already have a grasp of how to do it. So as uh, part of my uh, my thesis, I had to uh, create a new, uh, do a, a, a scientific paper, right? Huh. So my thesis was uh, coming up with a new method of aging human skeletal remains. Ooh. I told you that I loved osteology. So yeah, yeah. in osteology, when you when police or um, I don't know law enforcement agencies find the body if they find a really poorly decomposed body they still want to know who that person was so um, they have like a whole bunch of different methods to try to figure out how old the person is when they died you know where are they from that kind of thing there's a lot of information you could find from human skeletal remains so I did uh, the pubic symphysis which is the bone in the front of your hip bone that kind of connects and we were looking for if we if there were predictable markers to tell how old a person was mm. so that's that was my research i had to go or i went to i chose to go to 
the Washington DC, uh, the Smithsonian. Um, and I, my professor had a portable x-ray machine. So I went <laughs> the there heck? and I x-rayed <laughs> 200 individuals from their collection. Yeah. Dead yeah, yeah, yeah. The, okay. the Smithsonian. <laughs> oh, so the anthropology. A portable x-ray machine? Yeah. The anthropology collection nice. in the uh, American, uh, Her- I'm sorry, the American Museum of American. Why can't I even think of it? The museum in New York City. I, I'm blanking right now. But anyway, they had a very small collection of human skeletal remains. Okay. Uh, the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. had a very large collection. No they had 16,000 individuals. <laughs> so I created... Where, where did they store them all? So, I, I, <laughs> my goodness, I felt like a little kid in a candy store, okay? <laughs> it was this long corridor. It, the floor must it was it must have been like 15 feet high from floor to ceiling there were these drawers uh, maybe I don't know three quarters of a foot maybe and then maybe a foot and a half wide drawers uh-huh. and they would just store them in there and it was this long <laughs> corridor from floor to ceiling just drawers and drawers of it of individuals <laughs> yeah it's crazy but their but their their collection it's really it sounds really a little fascinating spooky. a little spooky isn't oh it? no i wasn't i wasn't free i wasn't spooked i didn't i thought it was fascinating i thought it was really cool i thought it was the coolest thing ever wow. you know yeah, yeah, so yeah. Cool. yeah it's fascinating i mean now um their collection was prior to 1965 uh-huh. so apparently in 1965 they passed a law that um you have to donate your body to science in order for um universities and medical schools to use your body oh, so okay. prior so their collection um was mostly of of um homeless and um, low income that uh, bodies that weren't claimed uh-huh. and stuff like that so it's uh, really interesting you yeah. know the different populations of the different uh, um, collections that there are out there mm. you know there's another major collection over at uh, um, the University of Tennessee mm. you know awesome yeah, but anyway, wow, I could talk for hours about that. Wow, but anyway, but, so you did some but my really, point, really cool things to that. Yeah, it was amazing. It changed my life because, again, I went around, I talked to everybody. I did not give up. I was like determined to finish my education and do it quickly, uh-huh. you know, um, and I didn't give up. You know, I mean, everyone, I kept asking people for money and everyone was like, no, 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 no. Until finally they were like, yeah. You know, and if I had given up, I would have never experienced that. I mean, they paid for me to go to two conferences a year. They paid for me to go to Smithsonian uh, Institute um, in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. They paid for me to go. They fully paid my education, my books. They gave me a $10,000 stipend on top of that, you know, uh, to live off of. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I, I never worked so hard in my life and had the best time in my life. Wow. It was amazing. Loved it. Loved every second of it. Highly recommend it. Wow. You so know? Then when you came out of that, you must have been pretty excited. I was. I was so, so gung-ho. Now, I said my daughter went to live with her dad. Um, yeah. So... Um, she had lived with him for six years now. Uh-huh. Um, wow. So we Time agreed. Flies. Yeah, totally, totally. We agreed that when I graduated from college, she would come back to 
to live with me uh-huh. because like I said, $10,000 a year is not a lot to live on. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and so I couldn't afford to, to support both of us. So yeah, yeah. I was living as a, as a true college student <laughs> at that time. So <laughs> it was great. It was great. I had a lot of fun. So I went back to what I knew. I went back to the investment banking because I needed to support us and I knew that was good money and I could get a job doing that. Yeah. So I went back to doing that. Um, but I wanted to do something different. I wanted to start, like I, from my time in college, I learned that I could set my mind to anything and I can accomplish anything that I want, right? Mm. It's just a matter of having the determination and the action to do it. Mm. Um, so when I graduated, uh, I th- looked for businesses to start. I tried a lot of different things. I did a little social media management. I did some website design. Mm-hmm. I did some consulting work. Wow. I, you know, um, I did all sorts of things, but nothing that was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I get up in the morning and I'm like so thrilled to do this, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> you know. So, like, I tried a lot of different things, you know. Yeah. Um, then, let's see, in 2013. My business coach said something to me that was like so odd and so like out of left field. She's like, I think you need some community. And I was like, huh? <laughs> you know, that was weird, you know, that she said that to me. And I was like, from a business coach? Yeah, from my business coach. I was like, I don't know where you came from, where that came from, but okay. You know, I trusted her. She was a really good friend and, and a great coach. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'll think on it, right? Uh, and then right about that time, same time, I watched this program called uh, The Buddha. It was on PBS and it talked about Shakyamuni Buddha and his life. And, you know, he was born a prince uh, over 2,500 years ago. And he encountered uh, three things that disturbed him so much that he gave up his his prince uh, role to find out why people suffer Mm. he encountered somebody who was dying someone who was sick and someone who was aging Mm. and he wanted to understand why do people suffer Mm. Um, because did he live like a happy life before he was a prince he was he he was secluded he was you know pampered he you know had every uh, desire you know taken care of you know, he was, he lived in a castle, uh, in a in a ca- um, in a palace. palace you know, uh, and then it just so happened that he encountered these three things on a day, wow. and he was like, "What's this? You know, wow. what's what's happening here?" Wow. So, um, um, so I was like, "Well, that's really interesting," and never heard anything quite like that. So I started asking people, "Do you know anything about Buddhism?" Because if you do a search on Buddhism, the amount of information out there is overwhelming. (laughs) And there's so many, it's like Christianity, there's so many sects, Uh you know, and uh, different, different groups that believe different things. And I was like, well, you know, which one is right? How how am I supposed to figure this out? So I was like, you know what, I'll start asking some friends, you know. And I met this woman at a networking event and we were having lunch one day and I asked her, so do you know anything about Buddhism? She goes, yes. But it was so funny. She goes, it's so weird that you asked me that question. And I'm like, why? She goes, because. It's 
just really weird. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. She had been practicing for a while, but she was really hesitant about telling people about it. Um, and uh, she just felt weird about like, you know, she felt like, I don't know, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so, so it was funny that I approached her about it. And I was like, well, tell me about it. And she's like, well, we have this intro meeting. In fact, I, I invited you to one. Yeah. Um, and I was like, wow. The thing that struck me most at that first, the one that I went to, there was a gentleman who came uh, during that meeting, that first meeting that I went to, and there seemed to be something wrong with him. Mm. I don't know what it was. I can't really put my finger on it, but it seemed like he was disturbed mentally in some way. Uh, I'm not judging. It's just he just seemed like something was off. Right, and so uh, we chanted a little bit. We chanted the words "Nam Myoho Renge Kyo," yeah. and then we went into another room, and they showed us a video, and then they told us there are no taboo questions. You can ask anything you'd like. Uh-huh. So this guy started asking about, you know, I'm here to recruit people for PETA, and <laughs> and it was like really like left field. <laughs> but the guy who was leading the meeting that day, his name was Bill. And he was the sweetest person. He spoke to this gentleman with such kindness and compassion. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I was so impressed. He just spoke to him with such kindness and just explained, that's not really what we do here. Um, and he explained the practice and um, and said that he was welcome to come back at any time um, and to uh, maybe speak to, to uh, members individually, uh-huh. but not uh, at the intro meetings. That's not really what we do. Mm. Um, and I was like, wow, that was just beautiful. The way he spoke to him, it was just amazing. So I had to go back and I went back every week until I came out to California. And, and, I had and a why'd friend, you go out to California? I had a friend. Other side of the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, it was. I had a friend, a really good friend of mine uh, from New York, who lost his job, and they offered him a position out here in California. Uh-huh. Uh, that was like probably three years prior to that. And so I would come out here and visit him every year, um, you, you know, for my vacation. I would take like three weeks off from work, and I would come out to California, and I'd spend like a month out here yeah. with him. And we would drive around all over the place, and we'd go visit all sorts of things. And I was like, it's so beautiful out here. I would say it every time. And I'm like, I don't have the nerve to move out. Just move cross-country. I mean, that takes a lot of nerve and guts and courage, right? And I just didn't have it at the time. Yeah. So now but you really liked it. I loved it out here. The weather, the people, I just loved it. Everything about it. So um, I went back to New York. This is after now I had been chanting for about a month or so. Um, I came out to California. I was chanting by myself here and I would go back. Uh, actually, I think I attended an intro to Buddhism oh. here while I was out. I was like, let me just, you know, go check out the local SGI, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. center. And so I went to the one in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, everyone there is super nice. Everyone is just beautiful people. Um, so I went back and I'm like, OK, I'm determined. I'm, I want my Gohonzon, which is a scroll that we chant to. Uh-huh. Um, and so I started chanting and I'm like, and you know, shortly after I got back to New York and I'm like, why can't I move to California? You know, why not? 
<laughs> and so, yeah, shortly I was like determined. I was like chanting every day. Okay, I want to move to California. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I just want, I'm making the determination that we're going to do it. Uh-huh. And shortly, a couple of months later, something happened with my roommate that he ended up moving out. And I was like, well, I can't afford my apartment by myself. So I was like, why not just do it now? <laughs> so I placed, I placed my notice at work and, you know, I didn't even have a job out here. <laughs> You know, last day on the job, my boss says to me, aren't you scared? And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm really not. I have I have this practice that teaches me that no matter what, I'm going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know, and not to give up. So I was like, no, I'm not. And I went home that day. I used to work nights, the, the weekend overnights. Yeah. So I came home Monday morning. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning by the time I got home. And my friend from here, California, called me up. Like, I hadn't even just gotten in the door. You know, he's like, hey, guess what? My employee just quit. You've got the job. I was <laughs> what (laughs) so yeah even though like i had quit my job i had sold everything and coming out to and i had a job coming out to you so yeah it was amazing it's amazing how the world works like that it really is it really is it's like you put it out there and you know the the universe just you know it just it wants to move in the direction that we want you know we just have to put it out there Mm. you know it's crazy that's beautiful And, and so when you came out here when did you start Mo Bricks? So, so Mo Bricks about, is her company, right? Which is really really cool. Yeah, groundbreaking. It, it stands for Mosaics and Bricks. Mm-hmm. So um, let me back up a little bit. Yeah. So in 2013, actually right before I came out here, my daughter bought me the uh, Volkswagen camper van uh-huh. um, that Lego kit, the Lego kit that Lego makes. Yeah. And uh, because at the time I was thinking of uh, buying an RV and traveling the country. Cool. And I thought it would be a cool little like visual to keep me motivated to work towards buying that RV kind of uh-huh. thing, right? Uh-huh. And But not knowing or remembering how much I love loved Lego when I was a kid. So, like, you know, I had introduced my daughter to Lego when she was young, but she never took to it. She just really wasn't interested. So, it just never, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. We moved on, right? But when she bought that, that was for me. And it took me 12 and a half hours to build. And I almost didn't want to go to sleep that (laughs) night. I was like, this is awesome. I don't want to stop. And so from there, I went to the Lego store and they have this thing called the wall of bricks Uh where you can pick and choose what colors you like. So I took up a a whole bunch of colors that I liked and Uh I went home and I bought like a base plate and I would just play with designs and I would make all these mosaics out of the pieces that I had. And I just thought it was a lot of fun. I never thought like I always did crochet and I did needlepoint and I would always give that stuff away. I never like tried to make a business out of it. I think I tried once when I was like 18. It was so much work. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. this is, yeah. For for a little amount of money, you know, like I spent months doing something for 50 bucks. It was like, yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't really think about it as an art form. Yeah, you just loved doing it. I just loved doing it. And I was just fascinated by the brick. I mean, I loved Lego. It was just 
just a lot of fun, right? So I move out here to California, and um, I live in Pacifica, and there's, they have this thing in the end of September called Fogfest. Uh-huh. And at Fogfest, I met this collective. They called themselves Crate Art Collective, uh-huh. and it was just a bunch of artists um, getting together, and they like helped each other out, like how to promote their art and how to price their art, how to you know how to sell it, how to you know everything about it, you know. And I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. You know, it's something I've always wanted to do, and I just never knew how to do it. It was a group of people who were willing to work together and mm. and do do it together. So I was like, oh, what would be my medium? And I'm like, Lego, <laughs> you know. And so I started creating pieces. You Had know? you seen any other Lego artists before then? Oh, um, no. But shortly after that. I got I I don't know how I found them. Um, I did a search online and I found Lego user groups and I was like Lego user groups? what's that <laughs> you know and I did some research and I found that the Bay Area had one called Baylug so Bay Area Lego user group uh, Baylug.org if you're interested. Um, so I went to their first meeting. Oh my goodness, first meeting blew my mind. Um, it was at this gentleman's house. His name is Dave Porter. Uh-huh. He has this beautiful house in uh, Woodside on the border of Woodside and Redwood City uh-huh. um, off of Skyline, back in the woods. Just gorgeous, gorgeous house. Uh-huh. And on the third floor of, it's like a split level kind of house. And on the third floor, he, it was this room, 30 feet by 17. It was huge. And it was filled with Lego. <laughs> And like things he'd built like, and stuff? Yeah, and it was like all these sets and all these builds that he, it was like this train layout and he had the, all, the, all these trains going up a mountain and coming down and along wow. the ceiling he had all these planes and balloons and in wow. the back he had the Eiffel Tower and the Taj Mahal and all these ships and boats and cars and everything was made out of Lego. He had a, a Yoda, <clears throat> he had pictures made out of Lego. He, I mean, everywhere in his house, he had Lego. And the best part, he was 83 years old. Okay, He was a retired physician. Okay, 83 years old. It took him three months to put that display together. Okay, And every year... Does he sleep? No, I mean, he, he says it's not like he did it eight hours a day. You know, he'd spend a couple hours here oh, yeah, and there, yeah, yeah. you know, put some things together, and then he'd go do his thing. He'd come back, you know. It's not like eight, three months straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, oh, okay. but he knows that, like, if he wants it ready for Christmas, he's got to start in, like, you know, in September or something like wow. that to, 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 to get there, you know. Um, but it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And then, not only that, but there were, like, 60 or 70 other people in the house. All pe- people from all ages that were there because of Lego, you know, and they, so at, at our Lego, at our Baylug meetings, what we do is we tend to bring stuff that we built, you know, things, not Lego kits, but things that we design ourselves. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe all these people, adults, <laughs> playing with Lego so yeah so when um, they don't even a lot of times you you told me earlier that 
they like to keep the kids out if they can. And they can <laughs> Yeah, in fact, it's unfortunate. Dave Porter actually canceled. He doesn't invite the club to his house anymore because a couple of years ago, um, some kids, I guess their parents weren't watching, and the kids took some of his sets apart. He got really upset about that. <laughs> you, know, so, you don't mess with their Lego. Yeah, so a huge rule in the Lego community is if you build something, you're not allowed to touch it. So basically, like, you don't touch other people's mocks. <laughs> you know, mocks stands for my own creation. Uh, so if you if you build something, it's understood that nobody else is allowed to touch it but you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's... So kids. then after that, did, was your brain starting to get running with some ideas? You're like, okay, whoa, I didn't know you could do so much with Lego. Yeah, and I like, mean... There's supportive artists out there and... Yeah, it was crazy. It was just, you know, it's funny how things just fall into place, you know? It's like, I move out here, I, I find the Lego community, I find a great art collective, you know, they help me to price my art and, you know, uh, uh, create descriptions for them, create an artist statement, and all that kind of stuff that I just yeah. didn't know how to do before. And then with uh, the Lego community, you know, th some of these people have been building for so long that they challenge you, you know? And, uh, yeah, I'll never forget it. So I built uh, Rick and Morty. I, uh, what was it, two years ago? Yeah. I think it was two years ago. I did a, What is it, like eight feet tall? It's No, it's... Seven um, feet, six feet? It is 30 by 40 inches. Okay. So it's three... It's massive, though. Yeah, it's 30 by 40 inches. It's pretty big. So it's um, three base plates by four base plates down, right? Okay. Three across, four down. Um, and um, it's a picture. So just so you guys know, it's a picture of Rick and Morty. Right. And like it's like a, in front of the portal. It's like a silhouette. It's right. Like a silhouette of them in front of their portal. Right. right exactly. Really exactly. Cool. My daughter had introduced me to Rick and Morty, and yes. I had binged watched the first two seasons, and I'm like, <laughs> this is awesome. I've got to create something in, out of Lego. And so uh, it, that mosaic took a long time to build. I kept running out of pieces and stuff like that, but it was such an amazing build. But um, so I had built it uh -huh. and I had taken it to one of our uh, Baylug meetings uh -huh. and it was in one giant piece. Right. Uh -huh. So I had found out after the fact that it fits perfectly in my car. Like if it was an <laughs> inch larger, it would not have fit in my car. So one of uh, Bill Ward, who's a very famous uh, Lego builder, he uh, he's like, yeah, amateur move, you know. And I'm like, what? He's like, most builders build like modularly so that they can carry it, you know, so that you can take your pieces apart, put them in a box, and, oh, and yeah. carry it wherever you're going, and not worry about whether they fit or not, you uh -huh. know, in whatever you know if you're traveling or whatnot with it. So it's so funny. That's the kind of thing, you know. You get a lot of, you know, like. Yeah. You can do that better, you know. <laughs> oh, you built a building? How about the inside? Did you do the inside? <laughs> you know? it's, like, it's just a way of challenging, you know, it's to be better. And it's a great community, community, wow. really. That's awesome. Really. I'm sure it really helps you develop your skills. Being totally. Type of people. I'm blown away by some of the things that people build. Were you at Bricks by the Bay this year? Did you come? No, I, I wasn't able to make it, but I... I saw pictures. Of yeah. Them. The, the and I watched one... a few videos. You know those guys who, who interviewed you? Uh-huh. I watched a few videos of, like, some creations they interviewed. Like, yes. Beyond the brick. Yeah. The things that people build out of Lego is incredible. I like, mean, wow. I tell my students this all the time. So, um, 
Lego, when they patented it, patented it, the Lego brick, the two by four brick that everybody's familiar with, right? That's this brick. Everybody knows the two by four brick, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when Lego patented it, um, they asked them, how many, how many different things can you build with, say, six of them? Uh-huh. And Lego was like, well, I don't, we don't know. We're trying to figure out that number right now, but we think it's about two million, right? What? Yes, but now a mathematician, I'm not sure from where, it was in the Brickumentary uh, movie. If you ever get a chance to watch it, if you, it's a Lego, definitely watch it. It's an awesome movie. Brickumentary, right? Um, there was a mathematician who was intrigued by that question, and he actually figured it out. The answer is more along the lines of, so six of these, okay? And I'll talk six of them. Yeah. Two by four bricks. Yeah, just six. You Just six. You can make over 19 million combinations. What the heck? It's crazy. It's crazy. So to me, it means that it's almost infinite, right? Add in a couple of different elements made, you know, different bricks, a two by four. Uh, maybe you have a tile brick or you have a, a plate or, you know, a hook or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, you add just a couple more pieces and then the number grows exponentially, oh, right? Yeah. So basically... Super quickly being the billions. Exactly, exactly. Insane. So it's basically infinite, almost infinite. Wow. Yeah. So that means I can give... 20 people the same exact bricks every single one of them is going to come up with something different mm. that's the beauty of lego mm. you know wow. and with all the different types of elements that lego makes uh-huh. it's infinite wow. the amount of things that people could build with it i know i know bio uh, um bio engineers that use it in their jobs i know architects who use it in their work i know that'd be uh, so cool to have like here's a little lego model of what your home's gonna look like yeah yeah exactly exactly because it's a 3d representation right you know and you can build anything so when so when did you decide okay i'm gonna start mo bricks mo bricks so i started it seems like the universe is kind of bringing you different things like yeah, at different points. You, you know, it's funny because it's like I talk to people about this all the time and they're always surprised. They're like, really? That really happened to you? And I'm like, you know what? A long time ago, I think I started looking for opportunities, mm-hmm. right? I'm always looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know where they're going to appear, mm-hmm. but if you're looking for them, you will find them. You know, but if you keep your mind closed and you're like, oh, you know, I'm never going to find, you know, it's, it's like I think there's a quote for Henry, uh, for Henry Ford. I don't know if it's really his or not, but something about if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Hmm. You know, so if you believe you can't, then you're not going to find anything. But if you believe you can, hmm. it's amazing how things just come into place. Wow. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I, when I first joined Baylug, I started my business as Lego Art by Patty Sheeran, but uh-huh. because Lego is a big company and they really protect their branding, I knew that I had to change that very quickly. So I started going by that only to have a, a business name, just to see if it was something that I really wanted to pursue. Because mm-hmm. like I said, up until that point, I had done so many different things mm-hmm. and nothing really like clicked. 
Um, so I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then when I realized, no, this is exactly what I want to do. Mm. Um, when I, I was hired a couple of, to do a couple of commissions and when people paid me to do Lego, I <laughs> build Lego for them. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, like where do I sign up? You know, kind of thing. So since I am a huge fan of mosaics, I figure mosaics and bricks or mo bricks for short. Yeah. You know. So that's how I came up with that company name. And I I came up with that name before I quit. I think it was... Oh. Uh, so it was like, it was something, you hadn't fully gone into it. You're like right. doing this thing on the side. Right, I was so doing you. it on the side. I was working full time. You know, uh, I was a volunteer for uh, Bay Lug and Bricks by the Bay, uh-huh. you know, which is a Lego fan convention that we put together every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I had been hired to do a couple of commissions. Uh-huh. People had paid me to build... I built a Salesforce tower for a uh, uh, a conference that does semi-annual conferences here in San Francisco, uh, which was amazing. I totally underbid that, you know. <laughs> it was my first commission, and you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Well, now I, you know. I do, I do, and it was a great experience, and I loved it, and I loved every second of it, and I was like, this is definitely what I want to do. And then my second commission uh, was for Salesforce. Um, I'm sorry, for um, Survey Monkey. They wanted me to build their logo, so I did their logo for them. Um, And again, I was like, wow, people are paying me to build in Lego. It was like, whoa. I was like, I want more of this. You know, so yeah. So then, so then you, you, you started forming your company and like you got your name and then did you start playing around with different ideas of what you could do? And then, yes. So, um, one thing that I've learned over time is that you never know when an idea is going to stick and when it's not, you know? Um, so I just tried so many different things. Like when I first, uh, quit my job. I thought I was going to do after-school programs or s- focus solely on after-school programs and yeah. kids' birthday parties. Yeah. Um, but a funny thing happened when I quit my job. Yeah. Two different people came up to me and said, "Hey, my son or daughter signed up for your after-school program." And I'm like, "Wait a minute! Don't you live in Jose in San Jose?" They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I live in Pacifica. <laughs> I doubt your child is enrolled <laughs> in my class." You know. And then the other person was from Hayward, and I was like, "There's no way that they're." in my class so what that told me was that there's a lot of competition out there right a lot of companies doing um after school programs and birthday parties lego Mm -hmm. birthday parties specifically so i when i quit my job i was reading a lot of tim ferris at the time and he talks about you know the new rich and and uh, the difference between being a boss and a owner. And I didn't want to be a boss. I wanted to be an owner, right? I, I didn't want to, I mean, granted, I'm starting a new business. I have to be in it, you know, uh, doing the daily in and outs of it, you know, until I figure out what works and then that I can hire people to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, yeah. that's my goal is to hire other people to do the work for me. Yeah. Um, so I could uh, do good in the world, right? Because uh-huh. that's really what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, where were you? So, so you were talking about you were reading Tim Ferriss, and you got right. this idea of how you want to run your company. You don't right. want to be doing the daily. Right. I, I wanted. I wanted. You want to be an owner, owner not, just not an the operator. boss. Right. Exactly. Boss, so. Yeah. Um, so when I started looking around more closely at Pacifica, I realized that there were actually three others three other businesses in Pacifica offering Lego 
programs. Oh, wow. And I was like, whoa, Pacific is a really small town. <laughs> Three is a lot yeah. for competi- competition. So I was like, okay, all right, what else can I do? What can I do that's different? Uh-huh. And I was like, seniors. Like, I don't think anybody's doing anything with seniors. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more I started thinking about it and looking into it, you know, I found out that Alzheimer's a big problem in this country or actually in the world. Uh-huh. You know, people are living longer and now we're having these like age related diseases. So Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, they're affecting people who are much older. Mm. People are living longer. Um, they're saying that there's five, was it 5.7 million people affected in this country alone uh, from Alzheimer's? Wow. Um, yeah, and they're saying the Alzheimer's Association says that number is going to go up to 14 million within two years. It's not like triple a... Triple in two years. Triple in two years. And they're saying the problem's going to get worse and worse and worse. Wow. Because there is no cure. No one knows what causes it. So it's it's devastating. It's really, really devastating. Um, when I found that out, um, you know, it's so funny. Again, you never know. You know, I was talking about this and I was thinking about it and talking to my friends. And then a friend of mine said, oh, do you know that I own a senior uh, center? (laughs) And I was like, no. And she goes, yeah, you want to try that out at my place? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so I Because you're thinking maybe Lego can help with it. Right. It gives them something to do, something that's interactive, something that, you know, it's fine motor skills that causes them to to put blocks together is is gonna be, you know, eye hand coordination, you know, um, like anything else, if you don't use it, you're gonna lose it, mm. you know, kind of thing. Um, so I thought it just it, it's a win-win no matter what right yeah. so um yeah so i at my friend so you got to try it at, at her at her place and, and it worked really well wasn't, I, didn't you have quite an incredible result with this lady named alice yeah alice was super cool she's such a beautiful beautiful lady she's so funny and so amazing she um she's in her late stages of dementia yeah, yeah, yeah. um she um She's like 90, 80? I don't know how old she is, but it doesn't matter what you say to her, her response is always thank you, with a smile on her face. She's mm. so sweet. It doesn't matter what you say to her, her response is always thank you. All right, mm. So what, something that happens to you when you get dementia or Alzheimer's is that you start forgetting. Mm. You forget everything. I mean, from the people that you meet, how to talk, even how to brush your teeth. Mm. Now, uh, one of the things that was really sad I, I did with uh, these ladies for for some time was coloring. I would bring in some coloring paper and some crayons and say, hey, let's color. Uh-huh. And Alice would be like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, choose a color. Which one? She would be like, I don't know what to do. You know, um, and like you would tell her, OK, take this crayon and color right here. And she'd be like, OK, now what? <laughs> you know, it, it's very, very sad. It's very sad. Um, and devastating for families. It's really heartbreaking. Mm. Um, so um, with Lego, I kind of feel like you can build whatever you want with Lego. There's no right or wrong answers with Lego. Yeah. Um, you could stack two bricks and you build something, right? 
You know, seriously. You know, it doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal. It doesn't have to be anything super extravagant. It's putting pieces together, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So when Alice first got to... Oh, right. So Alice. Alice was... I think that's a special little story. Yeah, a little story. So, so, okay. So one day, uh, one of the the nurses were having a staff meeting. And uh, one of them had uh, their daughter. And uh, I asked them to join us. She had two daughters. And one of them was really little. She's still in diapers. So she didn't really have vocabulary yet. I think she was less than three years old. And she instinctively took to Alice. And she just took out all the minifigures and handed them to Alice one by one. Uh-huh. Uh, now, we play with Duplo, which are the uh, large blocks that Lego makes for uh, toddlers and uh, preschool kids, uh-huh. right? So uh, so that if they put it in their mouth, they can't swallow it and that kind of thing, yeah. right? <clears throat> so the minifigures are really big. Uh-huh. So anyway, so a little girl was pulling them out and giving them to Alice. And she's and like Alice, three years old? She, less than three. She oh, wow. had it to be less than three. She was still in diapers. Yeah. Right? So she so, can't really speak and Alice can't really speak. Right, exactly. Exactly. So the two of them, nonverbal communications, right? Uh-huh. So um, the little girl would just pull out a minifig and give give it to Alice. Alice would take it and line it up in front of her and she would start counting. One, two, three three the little girl would pull out another minifigure give it to alice alice would line it up and start all over again one two <laughs> it's the three, little girl who's counting four right? no alice is oh, the one alice, alice is but the she one only who's says counting. thank you right? i know that's why everybody was blown away they were like what she's counting <laughs> you know it's it was crazy so the little girl and just adorable pulling out the minifigures giving them to alice we got all the way up to 16 but we ran out. I ran out of minifigs. <laughs> Who knew 16 wasn't enough, right? Um, so I pulled out a little, like a little duck and I gave it to the little girl and the little girl gave it to Alice. Alice is like, that's not the same. <laughs> Everybody was blown away. They were like, oh my goodness. She was talking and like rationalized. She knew that the little duck was not a person, even though all the minifigures were different, but there were people, right? And she knew enough to say, excuse me, that it wasn't the same. Wow. So that was pretty amazing. So when you saw that, were you just like getting even more excited about this? You were like, it, it, it works. It works. It engaged her, you know, it, it caused her to, to, you know, it's some of these places are very sad, mm-hmm. you know, I oh, mean, yeah. they do the best they can to entertain them. But if you're not talking to them one-on-one, they kind of just drift off, you know, and they're just like, it's almost like they're catatonic at sometimes, you know? Mm. They're just sitting there. So with Alice, for her to be engaged, you know, with the little minifigure she loves, I've got a little horse and she loves it. And um, we've got these little flowers and she figured out one day uh, we were playing and she figured out that if you spin it, it's like a top and it just spins really nicely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like little things like that. You know, it just engages her. Every time I see her, you know, she sees me and her face just lights up, wow. you know. So with your company, you, you found you found this is an area. It's a big need and it's just a growing need. And Lego really can actually help people here. And nobody's exactly. doing it. Exactly. Exactly. 
You know, it's just a matter of just, you know, it's funny because I've spoken to some friends from my Lego community uh-huh. and uh, a few, uh, one friend in particular said that he had tried that with his mom and, you know, he builds these big elaborate, he loves building castles, uh, especially, oh, wow. specifically, cool. yeah, he specifically like Disney castles, oh, wow. you know, um, so he loves it. Anyway, um, and his mom always kind of like, you know, was a little... I don't, I don't want to say jealous, just like she was just always there and he's building and she wanted, he wanted to do something that was going to be like the two of them together, yeah. you know, and he thought of Duplo and he bought her a Duplo set and the two of them, he's got pictures of them she building together. She, yeah, she's suffering with, from dementia. Oh, wow. And she was able to build with it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, with his help, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that pretty special experience for him? Absolutely. You know, if, even for her, she's like, she gets to see what she built and she's so proud of it. And wow. it's amazing. It's, it's, they're surprised when, you know, I, what I usually do is I bring in a kit um, to each session. Yeah. Uh, something simple, anywhere between five and ten bricks yeah. that they can build. And I show them how to build. Yeah. And uh, they're always amazed. They're like, I built that? I'm like, yeah, you did that. You know? So, yeah. It's, wow. it's a lot of fun. I That's mean, really cool. lately I changed my, my tagline to making seniors smile. Because I love it. I just... Wow. I love my job. I go to, you know, memory care facilities. Uh-huh. And I... Play make, with their seniors. And it's make them awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, these people are—they've worked their entire lives, or they raised the family. You know, they paid their bills. They were, you know, productive members of society, and now it's like my—I feel like my mission is to tell them, it's time to play now. You know, you got no more responsibilities. Come on, let's have some fun. You know, I love it. I love it. So, when did you decide, I'm going all in with this? Oh, I think it was right after Bricks by the Bay last year. Yeah, Bricks by the Bay last year, I had my logo. Bricks by I the Bay built. is a big Lego event. Yeah. Right, it's a Lego Bay, fan yeah. uh, convention that we put together in Santa Clara every year. Yeah. And... Um, that year, I had brought with me my logo, which I had done, um, which what, came out really... Is it really the same enough. logo that you have? Um, it's, right it's this logo, but it's in that pattern that I did the lotus flower in. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if I have it's a It's kind of like a little bit of a checkered pattern. It's, 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 I use a cheese slopes. My favorite pieces are the cheese slopes. So they're, oh. they're called cheese slopes. We call them cheese slopes. Yeah, I know. They're they're, right. They look like cheese slopes, uh, cheese, right? But they're the roof tiles that Lego makes, the Uh, one by one slanted roof tiles. And you did the logo with that. And I did my logo. I found that if you put them in two different directions, you create this kind of like pattern out of it. So I did my logo um, last year with it. And you took it to two years ago. Two years ago. And then you took it to Bricks by the Bay. Wait a minute. No, last year. Last year because I had Rick and Morty and then I had my, right, I had my logo there as well. Yeah. So yeah. it was last year. So then you took it there. What happened then that the, the, the Rick and Morty won amazingly awesome. Oh, in the, really? In the pop culture theme. People wow. were coming up to me and they were like, it is awesome. And they loved it. And I loved building it. Uh-huh. Um I got a, a lot of great feedback from that. And again, with my logo, I had 
settled on the name of my business and I went back to work after Bricks by the Bay and I'm like I've been talking about starting my own business for a long time this is definitely it I knew it um, I knew it was going to be something related to Lego mm -hmm. um, I wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be but um, I had an idea and I said if I work full time you know I didn't I wasn't going to have enough time to really pursue it mm -hmm. right um, so I just did it I just like I chanted over it and I was like you know when is going to be the right time you know I had saved up some money um, I had a friend who was willing to invest some money uh, in my business and wow. and support me a little bit and I was like you know I'm just taking the plunge wow. just gonna do it you know wow. and I did it and it's been over a year in fact what's today the fourth in three days it'll be one year that I quit wow. my job or that I'm a full-time you know, thank you thank you Wow. And how, how has that been? How's that oh my year goodness. been? It's been amazing. It's, you know, I don't want to like make it sound like there aren't obstacles. Okay. Yeah. Cause there are always obstacles. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we started working together at first. I didn't know, you know, like my friend invited me to come in and um, do it at her place, but I didn't know how to go out and talk to other senior centers. Right. And how to, cause people would look at me like Lego. That doesn't make sense. You know, you know, that, that's just a toy, you know, no, that's, that's ageism. In fact, I got that. It's like ageism. You're insulting our seniors by bringing a toy. And I was like, Oh God, no. <laughs> It's like, please, no. Um, so I wasn't really sure. And you and I worked on um, some ideas and and coming up with the marketing material and all the things uh, to promote that business was really difficult at first. I really mm. wasn't sure how to go about it. But mm. with your help and a couple other people gave me some advice and, mm. um, you know, I was trying to reach out to them via social media and email and phone calls and none of that worked you know and I so I spent a lot of months many many months trying to reach out to people and it didn't and then finally somebody is like why don't you just go there and I'm like oh okay I'll try that and that has been a huge success <laughs> you literally just walk in yeah it's like old school you know just walk in type of thing and it's like it's totally working you know, people are like, it's my calendar this month is, is filling up really fast. So wow. it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you have ups and sometimes you have downs, you know, um, you know, another thing that I do is the Lego and libations for adults. Uh -huh. And that, that's been a, a huge struggle. You know, I thought Which libations people, is drinking, right? So, you Booze. know, I mean, right. But you know, I mean, but it's, that, it's, fine. It's, it's, really it's only, cool. it's really cool. It, 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 it so I was thinking, like, we were coming up with names for, you know, adults. How do we say Lego, you know, like an adult, something fun, right? So yeah. we were going through names, Lego and beer, Lego and booze, Lego and wine, you know. And none <laughs> of them, like, really did it, you know. And yeah, then yeah. someone said, how about libations? I was like, oh, that's a cool word, you yeah. know. So it just flowed, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not that it's focused around yeah, drinking. Yeah, it's, it's just, just it's just getting together. Having right, a good time. it just meant, it's just meaning it's, it's adults as opposed to kids, right? I was trying to differentiate between building 
for adults and building for kids because kids want to build castles and planes and towers and stuff like that. I don't think many adults would be interested in that. So a lot of the things that I've been uh, creating for them has been more, you know, stuff that adults would be into, like coasters or mosaics or... You know, I don't know what else do I do? The Lego heart, heart thing. I like yeah, that. the hearts. I gotta give it to someone. Really cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what was the other thing? The keychain holder is also a big hit. You know, people lose really their cool. keys all the time, so I make a little keychain holder that you hang up by the front door, and you can just put your keys on as you're as you walk in. Do you find when you wake up in the in the morning, you're you're a lot more excited than you used to be about? what you get to do today oh totally totally you know when i worked a job it was like oh snooze the alarm clock <laughs> you know snooze snooze what's the maximum i can get away with i could snooze it for like an hour and a half before i have to get up you know kind of thing you know uh, but now it's like i wake up in the morning and i like jump out of bed it's like oh yay today I get to play with lego you know it's like it's it's hilarious i love telling people that when they call me up and they're like hey what are you doing i'm like i'm playing with lego what are you doing uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I love it. I love my job. Wow, you know. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even really the challenge, good. you know, even the challenge of it mm-hmm. is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in the beginning, it was funny. Many, many years ago, in fact, I tell this to my daughter all the time. She, she suffers from anxiety, and I tell her, you know, I get anxious too. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, people think that that I was that I was naturally outgoing but I wasn't when I was young I was very very shy I didn't like talking to people especially groups of people I really didn't like it at all you know but I forced myself to do it and now I love it I love talking to people and and doing things and speaking in front of folks and you know all that kind of stuff it's it's amazing it's like it's gotten to the point now that when i start feeling those butterflies in my stomach and that anxiousness and that you know sweaty palms and it's like oh my god i'm like really <laughs> nervous i know i'm doing something right you really? know yeah yeah in the beginning it was terrifying and i would be like oh i'm not going to do it i am so nervous you know but when i pushed myself through those feelings I always ended up with something amazing afterwards, you know, whether it was the right person to me. I mean, not everything, you know, becomes this amazing life altering event, but it's always something good always comes out of it. You know, it's amazing. So now it's like I look for those opportunities to make my butterfly, you know, those butterflies because I know I'm on the right track. You know, that's how I know I'm on the right track. I'm doing something that I normally would not do Uh because how are you going to, how are you going to create the life that you want if you don't stretch yourself, Mm. right? If you don't try something that you normally would never have tried before, you Mm. know, if you work within your comfort zone, you're always going to get what you got, right? Uh You keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same results, Mm. right? But if you want something different, you want to change your life, you want to, I don't know, have an impact or whatever, Mm -hmm. you got to try something new and you got to do something that scares you and terrifies you, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. That's so cool. I Uh, love it. I love it. Now, are there any questions that you think it would have been good for me to ask you? Maybe I didn't think of. Hmm. Hmm. 
Well, we were trying to inspire young people, right? Absolutely. So I believe that you just have to keep trying things. You know, a lot of times it's our own thoughts and our own, the things that we think of in our own heads that stop us. Mm. The majority of time, you know, it's like, um, there was this woman, I think her name was Mel Robbins, and she said that, uh, I think it was her or somebody Day, else. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys are awesome. Um, was it her or somebody else who said that, you know when you're at a meeting or something like that and something pops into your head, um, an idea or whatnot, if you don't take action within the first five seconds of that idea, you will never take action. You know, um, and uh, there was something about that you know whether whether it's writing it down or speaking up or whatever it might be uh-huh. you know always take action mm. you know because you never know there was a quote i heard <coughs> fairly recently it was something about you never know if an action will be a success or a failure until after the fact so you might think something is a great how many times do you hear from people really successful people that you know I tried this thing I never thought it was going to work and this is like my biggest seller how many times do you hear that you hear that so often from people Hmm. you know so you never know what you're going to do that's going to be success. Mm. You know, we might think that we're so smart. Oh yeah, this is going to be the next big seller and it's a flop. (laughs) Right. So you just got to keep throwing, you know, I, I say all the time, yeah, I'm throwing everything in the wall, seeing what sticks, you know, (laughs) cause you never know what's going to stick. I thought the Lego and libations was going to be a big hit. Not really. I mean, I still use it. I still do it to this day because it's a way for me to invite people to that event so that they can get to know me and see how I do things. And because from there, I've I've gotten commissioned work from that, you know, so even though it's not as uh, successful or as lucrative as I thought it was going to be, it has benefited me in other ways. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Not, so, how, not how you expect it. Exactly. Not exactly. Not so you really, so you really can't tell. You really got to be open to trying a bunch of things and, and just being okay that it might take a little while to, to find something that really clicks. Exactly. Exactly. That's and, okay. And that's okay. And you know what? Failures and mistakes are no big deal. You know, really. I mean, I was brought up as like, no, make a mistake. You know, like, like it was a bad word or, you know, it was the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. But, you know, I keep hearing over and over from successful people that they fail often. <laughs> that that successful people are the biggest failures. <laughs> ask them. You know, seriously, if you meet somebody who's highly successful, ask them how many times did they fail to get to the where they are. And That's if they're honest, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, awesome! Thanks for taking the time to to, to, to talk with me and, and share with us. If there's any if there's anyone out there who really resonates with what you're saying and would like to talk to you or um, um, get some ideas from you or maybe wants to help you in some way, how do you think they should go about doing that? Should they go to their web your, their your website or 
social media or what should they do? Absolutely. I'm uh, Patty Sheeran. I have all the social media profiles. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but yeah. uh, I'm mostly on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. So you could totally find me there. You could also find me on my website, mobricks.com. Which is M-O-B-R-I-C-K-Z. Z. That's right. Because there's a company in Missouri that makes red bricks. <laughs> and so they're called Missouri Bricks. <laughs> you know? So yeah, so I made mine with a Z. Mosaics and bricks is cooler. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, yeah. Or they can email me directly at patty at mobricks.com. Thanks so much, Patty. Thank you. It was my pleasure for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Perfect.